0: Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Hack to Start, a podcast that focuses on amazing people who have an interesting story or perspective to share and their insights on how they got to the level of success they have today. Thanks for joining Tyler and I for another episode. This is episode 101, and today we'll be chatting with SC
1: Moati. SC is a mobile expert with tons of insights to share from her firsthand experience gained over the 15 years of working in mobile. While visiting Silicon Valley from Paris, SC felt that she was on another planet and knew this is where she had to be. From her time with EA building mobile games, to moving to Nokia, to launching a precursor to Tinder and being acquired by Facebook to help their mobile efforts and running several teams there, to launching her number one best-selling book, Mobilize, SC delivers tons of invaluable insights for anyone working on products or who is interested in the mobile
0: space. As a product guy, today's episode was especially interesting as SC really explored some valuable insights around how to approach building mobile products, what simple frameworks we should keep in mind, and how, you know, what we've come to know as mobile is only really just getting started with more and more connected technologies beginning to emerge. Once again, we'd like to welcome you to the show. Feel free to tweet us at hacktostart
1: or drop us an email at hey at hacktostart.com or share your feedback right in iTunes with a review, good or bad, we'd love to hear from you. So let's get started. Hi, Essie. Thanks so much for being on the show today.
2: Thanks for having me. Very excited to be here.
1: Frank and I are super happy to have you on the show to share your time at Facebook, as well as launching your own book. But before we dive into that, where are you from and what did you study?
2: Yeah, so I grew up in Paris, France, and I studied electrical engineering. And then I went to business school after that.
1: Amazing. So how did your passion for tech and entrepreneurship really develop?
2: Yeah, that's that's really fun. Sometimes I wonder because a lot of my family is not familiar with technology. In fact, you know, it's only recent that they um, understand how much technology is changing their lives. Like for a while, they were like, oh, you're over there in Silicon Valley and we don't know what you do. <laughs> but anyways, my passion for technology really developed early when um, I was trying to I, I, you know, I was a tinkerer. I, I played a lot with uh, with technology and um, managed to find my way into computer labs and really enjoyed making stuff. And then uh, one thing that I didn't like was to, to actually be in that computer lab. I wanted to create technology that would get out of people's way while making their lives better. So um, that naturally evolved into uh, looking at stuff that's on mobile.
1: That's awesome. When did you first uh, come over to Silicon Valley?
2: I came over almost 15 years ago, so that's like seven lifetimes ago, <laughs> and uh, got my, my MBA at Stanford. And then immediately after that, when I graduated, it was um, a pretty bad time in Silicon Valley to, to find a job. It was uh, after the, the dot-com bust, and there weren't a lot of opportunities around. I joined a, a company called uh, Siebel Systems, which was doing uh, enterprise software, uh, very sales centric, very customer centric. I learned a ton there, stayed like three, four years. And then after that, all of my experience has been uh, with mobile companies. When I first visited Silicon Valley, I remember feeling that it was so different from whatever I had experienced before. And I really remember thinking, this is really planet Mars. I'm glad I, I visited, but you yeah, know, this is not for me. And so I spent five days visiting San Francisco, going around Silicon Valley, checking out Stanford University. And then after five days on the plane back, I remember very vividly thinking, well, this is planet Mars and that's exactly why I want to be here. And then one year later, that's when I moved to Silicon Valley.
1: That's a really cool experience. I, I traveled to California a couple of years ago and I had a, a similar experience. I haven't made the full commitment to, to, to move there. But I think it's, uh, in the near future to spend at least a couple of years, uh, experiencing the technology scene there. It's just a, I just had an amazing time.
2: Yeah. And, you know, the fun thing is that now that I've been here a long time, I've seen a lot of people, you know, come and go, but, uh, the experience never ceases to be new and exciting. And what I think is different in Silicon Valley, the, from pretty much anywhere uh, in the world, is that you really need to reinvent yourself constantly. Not just professionally, because you know there's innovation, but also personally, because so many people come and go. You always need to, you know, make new friends, and that's a very exciting part of being here.
0: That's
1: cool. So, so how did you get involved in the mobile space with companies like EA and Yahoo?
2: Yes. Well, you know, when I was looking to to move away from uh, Siebel Systems, I partnered up with a, a friend of mine who um, was a gamer. And we had plans to create a, a big and complex mobile game. Uh, we, we had some prototypes. We had, um, uh, some letter of intent from Asian publishers to, to publish our, our mobile games. And when, when I talk about a mobile game, I mean, I'm talking about a game on a feature phone, right? Something that today seems like today makes you laugh and back then made you cry, something like that. But anyway, so, so that venture actually, uh, never went anywhere. Uh, but as a result of that, my, uh, co-founder at the time said hey you know why don't you join electronic arts like he was working there and uh, there were some interesting projects around uh, mobile games so i joined and that really started me on the on the path of building mobile stuff
1: so from there you were then the head of product management as a general manager at nokia where you built and led a cross-functional team of over 70 members what was this experience like for you
2: So when I I left EA, uh, I joined Nokia, and I was the third member on that team. Nokia had just created 10 incubated companies around the world and saying, well, we know that software is the future. They were very aware of that. Uh, We don't know what's going to work, and so let's explore. Our venture was the only one out of the 10 that made it through that incubation. And what I mean by made it through is, you know, Year one, we grew the team uh, very much just like you described, 70 people in the, in the span of 18 months. Uh, we launched a product that people didn't like at all. (laughs) We got poor reviews. We got, you know, the Nokia headquarters on our back because we were, you know, tarnishing the brand and all sorts of negative feedback that way. Uh, but then on year two, we, we turned that around. And so we started to really build a great product, uh, really have a loyal community of users behind us. And, and what made a difference was honestly working on the product relentlessly, like bug after bug, but also. Uh, hanging in there with the community and, and and making sure they knew we were listening to them and and telling them we had incorporated whatever feedback they gave us or when we would do that and so on and so forth. So a lot of kind of grinding work. And then the third year, once we had a, a good product, was uh, was all about growth. And so. We started to get a real adoption, like millions of downloads. We were in the top 1% of the app store. We got a lot of awards, including an Emmy nomination. And so much so that Nokia headquarters, which, you know, was huge at the time, like 40% of market share in the, you know, phone business. Nokia headquarters started to pay attention to our, to our small venture. We invited them. Like it was the winter and winter in, in, Finland, which is where Nokia headquarters are, is, you know, six feet of snow. And so we invited them to a long workshop, week-long workshop in San Francisco, where it was really sunny. And we had a lot of people come, obviously, and and they loved their time. And so after that, they uh, they decided to preload us on all of Nokia smartphones. And so all of a sudden, we got instant distribution. And that was a huge achievement,
0: so just diving a bit deeper into that, what was the actual process like of having Nokia, you know, preload your app on their phones?
2: I was joking when I said that uh, offsite in San Francisco turned them around. Uh, really what it was is uh, it was the result of 1 year of getting to know one another, right? That team, that small team of software entrepreneurs in San Francisco Versus these huge divisions and design and committees and discussion workshops and all of that all around the world. So myself and, and a couple of other people traveled to Helsinki, traveled to Berlin, New York, Asia, a lot of the kind of decision centers of Nokia, and participated in many, many strategic discussions. It's a bit of a, of a, you know, David versus uh, Goliath, just because of the sheer size of the organization. And after, after one year of doing that and consistently showing um, exponential growth and uh, consistently showing uh, signs of uh, solid monetization, one of the Nokia teams that we had been building relationships with, which was based in Berlin, said, "Yeah, we are actually interested in what you have built. We'd like to integrate it in our offering. So our offering became part of Nokia Search, and that's how it finally got preloaded on on every smartphone. Something else that made a huge difference is that we had some early wins, i.e., some uh, single devices." had taken an interest in our product and decided that they were going to preload us. So instead of like being all Nokia smartphones, at this early stage, it was one specific device. But these were significant early wins because they were validation points in the market that helped lead to the decision to preload us on every single smartphone.
0: That's pretty incredible. So you then left to start your own mobile software company called Rendezvous Labs. So what really motivated you to launch this company?
2: So in 2010, I I left Nokia to start my own company. Really, the reason is that it was clear there was this mobile revolution happening, but there was no clear winner yet. Uh, and I mean by that on the software side, uh, Nokia clearly was starting to struggle. Apple clearly was gaining market share. Google was, um, you know, making a play there. Samsung was on the verge of bankruptcy and maybe turning around. Uh, so, um, what I thought was, okay, there's this huge opportunity to, you know, create my own vision for mobile before. Anybody has defined you know, what is mobile success or set out a formula for mobile success. So that's how Rendezvous was born. Our goal was to create an experience that would leverage the capabilities of mobile. And uh, by that, I mean that was very, very contextual and that was very, very personalized. We set our heart on dating. So our service, which was called Cherry Pick, was a precursor to Tinder. And quickly um, quickly after we raised money, we packed the interest of Facebook. If you remember at the time, uh, Facebook was struggling with uh, mobile. You may remember articles that read something like Facebook is going to die because it doesn't get mobile and the stock was, you know, in jeopardy. So Facebook brought us on board to help them figure out uh, their mobile transition.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. And and diving into that a little bit more, what were some of the biggest lessons that came out of, you know, basically building your own your own company and, you know, building the team, raising money, and ultimately like like you just mentioned selling to Facebook, what was that, you know, entire process like for you?
2: Yeah, it was a, it was a real roller coaster. Um, at the time, uh, mobile was really a, a blue ocean, right? Lots of opportunities. So a lot of people not knowing anything about mobile and trying to invent and make things up and define. And so a lot of creativity and a lot of fun. And, and that really was, was, uh, my biggest learning from, from that time. Now, in terms of making things work, um, what we did with Rendezvous was not unlike what we did with Nokia a few years before. which is, you know, our first product didn't get uh, great reviews. Uh, In fact, it was pretty bad. And then we changed the perception just by, you know, listening to our users and adding features and making tweaks and improving the experience very, very iteratively. And so that grind is, I think, one of the key lessons for me in terms of what makes something successful the the discussions with facebook were um a little bit more random than the discussions with nokia uh, there were some discussions about our team because that was really their interest and uh, there were some discussions about their pro- the our product which was less uh, of an interest to them and then the the talent acquisition uh was actually relatively fast because we were a, a smaller team than uh, the team that i led at nokia
0: very cool. And so then, you know, when you joined, when you did join Facebook, you were a product leader, uh, you got to work on, on different things, and then you were quickly promoted to run, you know, the Facebook pages product. So what was pages like at that time? And what was that experience like for you? Uh, and, you know, maybe some lessons that that came out of managing, you know, that kind of uh, a product of that importance inside a company of that size at the time?
2: Yeah, so Facebook was uh, really incredible, because um, when I joined, I think there was uh, about a dozen, product folks, maybe less. And so uh, there was a lot of things to do with very little people. Uh, the main priority being hiring more product folks. Some of the big, big things at, at the time that that were uh, impressive about Facebook is that it was so completely driven from the bottom up, as opposed to what I had seen at most companies, which were uh, very top down. You know, I, I would go to my team or my boss would come to me and say, what do you think you should be working on for the next six months? And then we had a discussion about it and that was it, right? Of course, the discussion had some readjustments, but very, very bottom up. Uh, another thing that was really exciting and surprising at Facebook is the, the sense of urgency. I remember, you know, my first few days I would go to a colleague and I would say like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm looking for that piece of information. Do you think you could pull it for me? And I would expect something like, yeah, sure. And let me get back to you in like a couple of weeks, right? Which is a normal thing in companies. And the person would be like, Oh my God. Well, you know, I'm sort of busy right now, but let me get on it. I'll have this for you in a couple of hours. Is that okay? <laughs> and so that sense of urgency really, but you know, you, you, you have to understand that people want to know immediately if they, have been tagged into a picture, like, do they look good, you know, or if somebody in their network got engaged or, you know, whatever is is really personal was shared on Facebook. And so it's only normal that there was this crazy sense of urgency. It's like our users wanted to know immediately. So we needed to have the same sense of urgency. In fact, you know, Facebook was a mobile company before there was mobile because it was a huge hindrance to wait until you are at a computer to check Facebook. So I think yeah, a lot of the, the reason uh, mobile exploded in the last few years is because people bought smartphones in order to check Facebook. So uh, another thing that, that was also really interesting uh, during that time at Facebook is um, I think just a, a week after uh, we joined, I, I got a booklet that said, you know, Facebook was not meant to be a company. And then you'd open the, the the little book uh booklet, and on the overleaf you saw it what me- it was meant to connect people and you know that sounds probably when you when you hear that that sounds like you know kool aid or corporate logo or 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 mantra but but it really isn 't you know there is um i i think a a detachment from from business at at facebook that 's very unique and and very interesting. Um, like the, the focus on the user experience is actually um, quite uh, striking compared to any other environment that I've worked at.
0: Oh, that's a really interesting point to uh, to bring up there at the end. So maybe m- maybe just kind of diving into that and exploring that a little bit more, given your experience, you know, building products uh, on your own and, and inside bigger companies, what would be some of your advice to new product managers who are looking to get started inside startups or work on a product iteratively, like you mentioned before? Any, any insights on, on how to do that?
2: Yes, yes, absolutely. So, the advice I I give to um, people who want to have a successful uh, product management career is to develop a few sets of skills. Uh, The first one is design, really starting from the customer first and working backward to the use case. And often I will see people who say, oh, here's a feature. Let me define it and then let me, you know, complexify it and, and, flesh it out and um, deepen it. I think that, uh, you know, definitely I I, I don't think that's the right approach. I think the right approach is to start from uh, the actual use case. Is this person a new user? Is this person a returning user? Is this person coming in to buy a product? Is this person coming in to make an appointment? Like what is the one thing that this person wants to do? And then work backward from that. And then the second thing that, you know, on design that I, um, advise folks is to look at context, right? I mentioned that mobile is about context and personalization. So personalization is looking at the use case. Context is really thinking about what is happening for this user right now. And, and what is happening for most users most of the time, because most of them are now on mobile is that if there's one distraction from the experience that they're going through, you have lost them. They will like lift their head, they will listen to noise, and and that's it. They're no longer in the experience. So really make sure that you design something that takes into account personalization and context. I talk about design elements for mobile extensively in my uh, bestseller on mobile called Mobilized. The second advice I would give to product managers to build a successful career is to uh, look at, again, that grind that we were talking about. So how, um, like analytical skills, how do you measure something? How do you know if something works or if it doesn't? And here it's, you know, learning a lot about growth hacking techniques, lean agile and, and more. And then the third thing that uh, I would encourage product managers to do is to develop their vision for uh, the products that they want to build. So uh, one of my friends uh, say like product managers should read sci-fi books. And I think that's a great way to project yourself into future environments of possible users and try to project like what is it that they're going to value. Now, of course, it's a little bit extreme, but developing these visionary skills, especially as you become more senior in your career, I think is super important.
0: That's awesome. And so, as you just mentioned, you're now the founder and CEO of Products That Count and the best-selling author of Mobilized, an insider's guide to the business and future of connected technology. So, what is it about the mobile, you know, industry in general, and your experience and insights that really motivated you to launch this company and write a book about it?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, when I left Facebook, I um, started to to write about my experience with mobile, and my essays were syndicated on. Uh, the Harvard Business Review and Fast Company and the Huffington Post. And so soon enough, people started reaching out with their own case studies and, and stories. And um, from there, I started a community called Products That Count that talks about, you know, what it means to build great products, products that matter And that community grew very fast. We started hosting networking events to get to know one another. Today, these events are some of the largest product events in the Bay Area in San Francisco. My publisher reached out as a result of that community. We have... 13,000 members uh, in in the community right now. So they reached out and said, hey, you know, it seems like you know a thing or two about mobile. Like, how about you write a book about it? I also was invited to uh, lecture at Stanford University on mobile. And I sit on the board of uh, a number of companies public and private because of my uh, mobile expertise so really like what's been interesting for me the past couple of years is all these different ways to have a greater impact with my experience and my expertise on mobile and help more companies and more people uh, get that technology that you know sort of back to my early days like helps people live better lives but also gets out of the way.
0: That's really cool. And so I, I think you mentioned a little bit there, you know, kind of starting the community and starting to blog and write about your experiences. But what was the rest of your approach towards like writing the book? How did it how did it develop uh, in your mind and, and what you know, how did you actually go about creating it? And and I also wanted to highlight something that I think is, is pretty cool, Um, you know, uh, th- that you're doing with all the proceeds generated from the book. So I'll let you I'll let you touch on that.
2: Yes, yes, absolutely. So, uh no no suspense. I'm I'm donating all profits from the book to to charity because, you know, really my point is uh, and my goal is to spread the word about what makes for great mobile products and um not make money from from the book. Uh so so my process for writing the book I think is what you're asking and that's really interesting because it's a uh, it's very um it's constantly jumping from the the detail the case studies which I started writing down like based on my experience I started interviewing dozens of executives at mobile companies like Uber and Pandora and Slack Airbnb and many more. So I had all these interviews and all that content And then I looked at it and started to think about like, okay, in hindsight, like how did it all make sense from the beginning? You know, (laughs) the stuff that you really wish you had known um, before you you did uh, all the things you did. And really what struck me is that no matter who I had spoken to and no matter which product I had been working on, what was obvious was that mobile products are extensions of ourselves. And so when we think of the best mobile products, we have to think of our best selves. And then I use the mind-body-spirit framework to describe that. So if you look at body, right, we all want to look good, or at least I want to look good. And it's the same for our mobile products. If they are not beautiful, like they're not going to be successful, period. Then the spirit rule, we all want to have meaningful lives. And it's the same for our mobile products. We expect them to, to give us meaning, and that means personalization, working with our communities and all that. And then the mind rule is that grind that we were talking about earlier. We all strive to grow and learn all the time, and we expect that our mobile products will do the same, that they will learn with us and and grow. And so I talk in my book about... You know, these three rules, I give a lot of case studies on how they apply or how they have been applied successfully. And then I give a framework and some tests and rules that allow you to look at your own product and and see how you, you know, kind of pass or not that set of rules for mobile success.
0: Oh, that's very cool. And so this, this might be a bit of a loaded question, and I'm sure there's many different answers. But, you know, based on your experience, what would you say are some of the biggest mistakes that larger companies or even startups make when approaching, you know, building mobile products?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I, the first mistake that I see is that a lot of um, B2B companies or enterprise companies underestimate the, the power of beauty on mobile They think that they can get away with the, you know, kind of suboptimal experience that they built on the web. And that's just not true. And the reason is, again, that mobile products are extensions of ourselves. Like we brought, we the people, right, brought our mobile products to work and we are not going to be, you know, slave to bad products. There is an expectation there and it just cannot be undone. So first mistake, like underestimate the power of beauty. The second mistake I see is, and that I see sort of across the board, is that not enough mobile products are personalized. And by that, I mean a couple of things. One is they do not leverage enough location, friends, calendars, address books, all these personalization elements that would allow the experience to be so much nicer for all of us. And when they do, they do it sort of poorly. So I think that on that, you know, sort of personalization and kind of close relationship with, with me as a user, a lot needs to be done. On the personalization, as in me relating to a group, nothing has been done, right? There are all these talks about data privacy, you know, like if I look at my GPS, like I love my GPS because it personalizes everything, but then other people have access to my GPS. I don't know who, I don't know when, it really is frustrating, so as far as, you know, mobile relating to our communities, we haven't done anything really meaningful there. And I think that this needs to be solved. And then a third mistake that I see companies do is, especially smaller businesses, I see them launch a mobile product, whether it's a website or an app and say, okay, so we, we've done it, right? Like they check the box and um, and that's not how it works on mobile. There are constantly new behaviors, new devices, new ways to do things on mobile. Like five years ago, when we were building our product at Nokia, we thought that people would never really want to hold their phone Up the way we all today take (laughs) pictures. (laughs) And, you know, two years ago at Facebook, we thought that people would not like push notifications, which is the way we all talk on messenger these days. So behavior will change from, you know, one month to the next. People change devices on average every 18 months. So the mistake I see is not changing, not growing, not adapting your app or your product or your website on mobile quickly or often enough.
1: I couldn't agree more with those points. There's there's still a lot of improvement in the mobile space. And I'm actually really looking forward to seeing the next couple of years and where mobile really goes. But on that note, what are some trends or parallels from your experience with mobile do you see carrying over to connected technologies?
2: Yeah, so, I, you know, I think that that's a great question. and And I think that mobile formula applies to not just all mobile products, but all connected products, which is really all technology today, more and more. Every single piece of technology that we carry is our own, right? We carry it with us every day. So it's completely contextual and it's completely personal, whether it's a smartphone or a pair of glasses or a wristband or a watch or soon enough, you know, a piece of clothing or something else. We all want mobile products that get out of the way, that are extensions of ourselves And so when we think of the best, you know, connected technologies or the best technologies out there in the future, we have to look at these are extensions of ourselves. Therefore, we want from them what we expect from our best selves. We want them to look beautiful. We want them to be highly personalized and meaningful. And then we want them to keep learning and growing.
1: That's all really interesting. And I'm looking forward to seeing where mobile is heading. Given that you just launched your book, what's in store for you over the next few months?
2: That's a great question, uh, and to be honest, like my book launched just a few weeks ago, and so I've been very focused on that. And now I'm very focused on my book tour. So I'm giving a lot of talks. I'm participating in a lot of conferences and webinar and podcasts like yeah, this one. I love doing that. I uh, when I was at Stanford, I I was teaching public speaking, and I've always enjoyed this. So uh, I'm looking forward to doing more of this. I also want to continue to grow our community and find ways to bring meaningful content to people help them get inspired learn and and help them network with one another so i see doing more of that in the future and then who knows like i'm looking forward to some good surprises along the way as there has been so far
1: so do you have any recommendations on some cool apps that you've downloaded or used recently either personally or professionally
2: Yes, yes, absolutely. I'll start by sharing, uh, I, I think, something that, that your audience will find interesting. At um, at Products That Count with my uh, community, we recently polled our audience and asked them what are the apps that they have on their home screen, like on the first screen of their smartphone. And what's interesting is um, that what came out of that are, it's mostly productivity apps, apps that help them work better, faster, and and so on. If you compare that with national averages provided by companies like App Annie and things like that, it you know where it's something completely different. Uh, National averages, the apps people love are personal hobbies like music or dining or games and stuff like that. And and with a you know Silicon Valley audience of people who build mobile products, they're all looking at productivity apps. So with that in mind. You will have to uh, bear with the boringness of the apps that I use <laughs> because they're also uh, all about productivity. So I definitely use uh, Evernote to to keep track of stuff. I use Lyft to go places. I use WhatsApp to communicate. I use Munchery to get good food without having to go shopping. And then, of course, I use a lot of the social media apps. Some of the apps that I've been using are apps that allow me to be mobile only. So I have this app called Tabula Raza, which allows me to have a remote control on my cell phone. Um, I have a a turbo scanner. I have a business card scanner. I have an expense report scanner and all sorts of things like that that allow me to have a, a virtual office on my mobile phone. I also have been using Dropbox on my mobile expen- extensively. And really, Dropbox on mobile has changed my life because it has allowed me to communicate with people and share documents without sharing any attachments. And that really has powered like me being 100% mobile when it comes to sending emails. So these are some of the apps that I use most of the time.
1: So do you have any recommendations on great content that you've come across lately, either a book, video, or a blog post?
2: Yes, I do. Books, I, you know, I uh, tend to go with some classics, like I recently hosted on my um, network, um, Geoffrey Moore, the author of Crossing the Chasm. And as a result of that, I reread uh, his famous book, Crossing the Chasm, one million copies sold. And it's, it's really timeless. It's amazing how relevant it is today uh, to mobile and to everything else uh blogs that i follow uh definitely follow andrew chen uh and his uh, amazing blog uh love some blogs from uh, Lean plum from envision from amplitude all great providers of content for product and mobile i also follow uh, stratechery which is a really interesting blog on on technology and and business um i have to say that i don't know of a ton of great blogs on uh, just mobile, uh, apart from, you know, of course, my own blog, scmoati.com, shameless plugin. And um, I wish there were more. I wish there were more uh, mobile practitioners that I could uh, uh, exchange with and and learn from.
0: That's awesome. Those are tons of great resources. So do you have any last thoughts as a way of just ending the episode based on everything we we sort of talked about today?
2: Yes, absolutely. A lot of, um, people that I speak to or I speak with are, are uh, technology people. And to these people, I, I would say, like, if what I shared with you sounded simple, right? Mobile products need to be more human or that mind, body, spirit. Then I think I've, I've done my job. And if you remember that simplicity when, when you build products and when you're at your computer thinking like, wow, this is hard. And you have, you know, that thought that says, no, 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 it's easier than I think. Then, uh, you know, I, I will feel great. I, I'd love an email. It would make my day.
0: That's awesome. SC, thanks so much for taking the time uh, to speak with us today. We really appreciate you being on the show and sharing all those awesome insights with us.
2: Awesome. Thank you very much. That was really fun.
0: Well, that's another episode of Hack to Start. Thanks for listening. And we hope you'll join us again soon.
1: Remember to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook and on the web at hacktostart.com. We couldn't do the show without your awesome support. So please leave us a review until next week.